0: Happy New Year. I hope that you weren't coming to church on the first Sunday of the year thinking, oh, this will be a good 15 or 20-minute service, because it's not going to be, and I don't apologize for that. Um, If you're new, I'm Jamie. I am one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We are going to pick up where we left off last Lord's Day morning in verse 21, Luke 2.21. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in the pew ahead of you. Grab one of the black ones and point it to page, uh, let's see, page 857 of the church Bible. Top right-hand corner, verse 21, the verse numbers are the small numbers, the the chapter numbers are the big numbers. We're going to be reading from verse 21 down to verse 40. And as you're finding Luke 2.21, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we have started a, a new whole church Bible reading plan, just like we did last year. And you can find this reading plan either on the Course on Pickle website, on the back of your worship guide each week, or uh, we'll get it up on the Pickle Baptist website as well. Uh, this way you can be following along. We're doing it a little differently this year. And that each day is split up into different parts of the Bible. So you'll be reading different parts of the Bible uh, as you go along, rather than reading it just kind of all the way through that way, uh, breaking up into different sections of Scripture. And then we'll we'll continue to do the Sunday being reserved for uh, the consideration of the text that we'll be uh, be in on the Lord's Day. So you can follow that plan uh, if you will. I would encourage all of you. Uh, to to be having to reading be reading scripture this year, um, setting aside 15 minutes, 30 minutes to read the Bible every day. Um, unhurried time with the Lord in His Word is uh, there's no, no no faster way to grow in your appreciation of the Lord and deepen in your joy in the Lord. Luke 2 verse 21. If you're there, I'll go ahead and read the passage, and then uh, I'll ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we'll work our way through this passage. Should be around 45 minutes or so. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him. To the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray. Father, will you please send your Holy Spirit now to give us understanding according to your word, that what we read would not just be pages, just words on a page, but it would be reality. It would be the words of God spoken to the people of God that your word is living and active and powerful. May it do its work by the power of your Spirit upon your people this morning. Do this for Jesus' sake, we ask. Amen. English-speaking Christians generally try to avoid certain four-letter words, and for good reason. You can call us fuddy-duddy if you like. Maybe we are fuddy-duddy, but the Bible does say, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. However, there is one four-letter word that I think we avoid more than all the other ones. And it's probably not the one you're thinking. This four-letter word is spelled W-A-I-T. Wait. I can't think of a harder word in the English language to hear than the word wait. We don't like to wait. Waiting is the bane of the existence of the modern man. For some of you, the read receipt on your iPhone is the most anxiety-inducing invention of all time. Now, why hasn't he texted me back? He read my message. Better text him again, and again, and again. You know who you are. But for as much as we don't like waiting, waiting is simply a part of life. Truth be told, waiting is so much of what the Christian life is about. And for this reason, the Bible has a lot to say about waiting. Psalm 27 verse 4, for example, says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. In the New Testament, the Apostle James writes, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Which is the very same thing the Apostle Paul told Titus when he said, To wait for your blessed hope, the soon coming return of the Lord Jesus. Even the Lord Jesus Himself told us to wait. Remember Luke 18, this very gospel. He said that we should not lose heart while we pray. He reassured us that those, the elect, who cry before the Lord night and day will be answered and given justice. Dear Christian, so much of your life is waiting, and waiting is hard. Why is waiting so hard? Well, I suspect one of the reasons is that waiting reminds us that there are many things over which we are not in control. You don't have to wait for things that you're in control of, do you? Because if you were in control of it, you wouldn't have to wait for it. And yet God has removed certain things out of our control. And we have to wait for them. The passage before us today is fuel for the weary, waiting soul. Here the gospel writer tells us how we can be strong and take courage as we wait. The Bible's solution to impatience is to look to Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of God's law and the fulfillment of God's promises. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's law and the fulfillment of God's promises. There are two halves to this passage. One is the foundation of the other. First, we will see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's law to those with faith. That's first. That's foundational. Secondly, we will see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promises to those who wait. And then Luke gives us, in verses 25 to 38, two examples of what faithful waiting looks like. Two witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. One, an old man named Simeon, and the other, a widow named Anna. So let's get to work in considering this passage before us. First point, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's law to those with faith. So let's read verses 21 to 24 one more time. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name that was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22. So when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And then Luke includes this phrase in verse 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they went to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. A couple of thousand years before the Lord Jesus was born, the Lord appeared to a man named Abram, and He gave him a promise. He told him that through his offspring, that God would create a people for Himself, that He would be their God and they would be His special people, and they would live different from all the other peoples of the earth. Their purpose was special in that they would get, a, get, get the privilege of telling all the nations of the world about Yahweh about what He was like, about who He is, how to relate to Him. As God's chosen people, when they kept God's law, God would bless them and bless this work of theirs. But if they strayed from the Lord, broke God's commandments, left God's purpose for their life, God would discipline them, and He would remove His blessing from them, and they would repent and return to the Lord and return to His purpose for them. This is a great responsibility that God gave to Israel. And so they were to live in a particular way as a peculiar people, to stand out as His chosen people. There was lots of rules for the way they were to live with God in their midst and having this special purpose. For example, every male child born in Israel was to be circumcised on the eighth day, a sign that they belonged to Him. Every firstborn male would be dedicated to the Lord, given a special purpose before the Lord. God's people were also to eat a certain way. They were to dress a certain way, to worship a certain way. They were to offer sacrifices for their own sin. They were to obey certain sacrificial laws, ceremonial laws that were related to cleansing and and to worship. Jesus Christ was born into this system under God's law. And his whole life, even from birth, He kept God's law perfectly. Jesus Christ earned every blessing that God promised to those who kept his law. And Luke shows us this in verses 21 to 24. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day after his birth according to the the, the word of the Lord. As Mary's firstborn son, he was dedicated to the Lord, presented to the Lord, set apart for him according to the word of the Lord. Sacrifices were made for purification according to the word of the Lord. Jesus perfectly fulfilled God's law in all things. We saw a couple of weeks ago that Jesus was born in the small town of Bethlehem. And eight days after Jesus was born, he is named and circumcised. And as the firstborn son, he is presented to the Lord. The law required that a woman who gave birth to a son would would have to spend 40 days Taking care of her child, and then after forty days she would travel to the capital city of Jerusalem, she would present herself in the temple for ritual purification, ready to be received back into regular worship in the community. She was commanded that she had to offer two sacrifices, a lamb as a burnt offering, and a turtle dove as a sin offering. Those who couldn't afford to bring a whole lamb. They were allowed to substitute with two turtle doves or two pigeons. And since this is what Mary brings, we can surmise that she and Joseph were likely poor. What Luke is doing here is he's presenting Joseph and Mary as law-observant parents who are obeying God's Word. But more than that, he wants us to see, the readers, that Jesus is perfectly fulfilling the law of God even from his birth. Mary offered a a sacrifice of sin for her own sin. And though Jesus didn't have sin, we see the baby, Lord Jesus, already being numbered among the transgressors, as foretold in the prophecy of Isaiah. Notice God's law is mentioned five times in the passage before us today. Luke wants us to see that Jesus Christ is the perfect fulfillment of the law of God. This is massively important to Luke. It's massively important to us. If you remember from last Sunday, mankind's greatest problem is that we have not kept God's law. We have broken God's commandments. And thereby we have brought God's judgment upon ourselves. And the penalty of breaking God's commandments, the penalty of sin, is death. And yet even within God's law, there were provisions for those who broke God's law. The sacrificial system was God's solution to the problem of man's sin. Instead of the sinner dying for their sin, he or she could offer a substitute in their place, an animal that would die instead of the sinner. By faith, as the sinner is repenting, they would trust that the Lord would receive that offering and that their sin would be covered by the death of another in their place. But still... The sacrificial system was incomplete. The blood of animals was something, but it wasn't everything. It could cover sin, but it couldn't take it away. So a man might offer an animal on the sacrificial altar for his own sin and then leave the temple and then commit that very same sin again. have to offer another sacrifice on the altar. See, the problem wasn't the sacrificial system problem was the sinner. Sinners kept sinning, and so more sacrifices were needed because no one could keep the law. But all of this was meant to point forward to the once and for all sacrifice that would not only cover over sins, but take them away completely. On the cross, Jesus Christ gave his sinless life as a substitutional sacrifice for all. His death is the atonement that paid the ultimate penalty of sin. This is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Christ appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly in the place of those who hadn't. And Jesus suffered the penalty of breaking God's law in the place of those who had. This is why Jesus came. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4. He says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. By his death and his resurrection on the third day, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law of God for those who hadn't. And those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, God receives the life and death of his son in their place. His penalty for their payment, his law-keeping counted as their law-keeping, and all the blessings of God that he earned, are counted to those who trust in him. Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's law, Jesus Christ is also the fulfillment of God's promises. And that's what we see in the examples that Luke gives us in the verses that follow. Simeon and Anna. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. We don't know anything about the man Simeon other than what Luke gives us here. He's in Jerusalem. He's righteous. He's devout. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're told that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel waiting for the consolation of Israel. Luke's use of the present tense language indicates that Simeon waited daily, looking with urgent expectation for God to send the Messiah, the Comforter, the one who would save them, the one who would console them. It means that Simeon was waiting for encouragement. He was waiting for the lifting up, the comforting of his people. Remember, Israel is living in the land that God had promised to them, but they don't own the land that God promised them. They haven't owned the land for a very, very long time. Additionally, God hasn't spoken a word of encouragement to them for 400 years. And Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. How long did he wait? We don't know. But we know how he waited. Luke tells us that he spent his life waiting in righteousness meaning that he committed his way to the Lord. He is devout. He holds fast to the commandments of God. He's careful about keeping them. Simeon waited upon the Lord. He was looking for the Messiah. Dear Christian, I wonder what you are waiting for. What consolation are you waiting for from the Lord? Perhaps it's for pregnancy. Pregnancy the Lord would give you a baby? Maybe it's for healing. Perhaps it's for restoration in a loveless marriage. Maybe it's that a wayward child would return to the Lord and return home. Perhaps it's reconciliation with a loved one. Maybe you're waiting for a husband or a wife. What are you waiting for? But how, dear Christian, you wait is what matters. Do you wait as Simeon waited? How can you wait like Simeon waited? How can you wait without becoming bitter, disgruntled, or even worse, cynical? How can you wait with righteousness and devotion and with patience? Well, look at the text. You can see the answer in the text. Look at verse 25. Simeon is filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that is helping Simeon wait. After all, it is the Spirit of God that Jesus calls the Comforter who loves to bring comfort to those who wait upon the Lord. And he does so by bringing them to the person of Jesus Christ, which is exactly what he did for Simeon. And for you, My dear weary waiter, he will bring you to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit promised Simeon that he would see the Messiah before he saw his death. And when Joseph and Mary appeared in the temple to present Jesus to the Lord, Simeon saw him. Simeon saw the consolation of Israel. And he took him into his arms and he blessed God. What Simeon says next is instructive. Verse 29. He says, you are letting your servant depart in peace. The word servant is the same word in the Bible for slave. You see, this is how Simeon understood himself. He was the Lord's slave. His body, his life was not his own. It belonged to the Lord. And so God had every right to spend his life however he chose. If the Lord would make him wait, he would wait. Because he knew that God was good. And he knew that God would give him peace. And here, here he found peace. And what was it that brought old Simeon peace? Verse 30. My eyes have seen your salvation. Remember the name Jesus means God saves. Simeon saw Jesus. Simeon saw the salvation of the Lord. This is the consolation of Israel. Jesus, the Christ, God, the Son, come to save sinners from their sin. Israel needed consolation because she hadn't kept the commandments of God. She'd abandoned her purpose. She was under the discipline and judgment of God, and then Jesus came to save her. Jesus is the consolation of God's people, Israel. But Jesus is the consolation, not just, of His people, Israel. Simeon goes on in verse 31 and 32, God has prepared His salvation, His Son, in the presence of all peoples. Jesus is the light of God's revelation of Himself to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Jesus reveals God to those who are far from God. You see, what, what Luke wants us to see is that Jesus did what Israel didn't. Remember, Israel was chosen by God to tell the nations about Him. And where Israel fails, Jesus succeeds. He is the light of God's self-revelation to the nations of the world. He is the glory of Israel. Though they hadn't been faithful to the covenant, God would be faithful to the covenant. and This is how Simeon can depart in peace. He takes Jesus up in his arms and he blesses God. You know, it's no different today. It's no different today. Do you long for peace? Do you long for comfort, encouragement? Friend, do as Simeon did. Take Jesus into your arms by faith and bless God. There is no other way to have peace with God. Jesus is the consolation of Israel, the comfort of his people, the way to have peace with God. Take hold of him today with the arms of faith. These are astonishing realities. And Joseph and Mary are marveling at this. And Simeon blesses them. Look what he says next, verse 33. And his father and mother were marveling at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. Look what he says to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the hearts of many, the thoughts of many hearts, may be revealed. Simeon speaks prophetically here, that Jesus has been appointed by God to be a sign, a sign that is opposed. He will be for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Didn't the gospel writer John say the same thing in chapter 1 of his gospel when he said, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, the fall and rising of many. Although Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promises to his people, although he's the one who will bring comfort, consolation to Israel, many of his own people did not receive him. Jesus was rejected despised and opposed. You see, in Jesus' day, as in our day, there are many people who looked like they were following God. Like they kept all the rules. They appeared devout. But then when Jesus came onto the scene, the Messiah, the the thoughts of their hearts were revealed. They opposed Him. They rejected Him. and They crucified Him. A sword pierced through his side and through his mama's heart. Cornerstone and Pickle Baptist Church, there is simply no ignoring this man Jesus. You are either delighting in him or despising him. You will either worship him or hate him. He will either be heralded as God or hated on by men. There is no in-between. You cannot be indifferent to this man. He will be for the fall of, fall and rising of many. Not just in Israel, but even in this very room. Friend, everything depends upon what you do with the man Jesus. What you do with him reveals who you truly are. How you treat God the Son, reveals the thoughts of your heart. So if you are not a Christian, I'm very glad you came to church today. We prayed that you would be here. And like everyone here, you have not kept God's law. And like everyone here once was, you were under the judgment of God for your sin. The only difference between you, non-Christian, and a Christian, is that the Christian has admitted their sin and asked God for help. Did you hear the testimonies of those who were baptized earlier today? Those were four people who recognized their own sin and their need for a Savior. And they turned to Him and they received what God promised for 2,000 years, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you turn to the Lord confessing your sins, He will forgive you, cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and give you, peace. Friend, I pray that you do that today. Don't leave this place still under the judgment of God for your sin. Find a Christian in this room and ask them to meet with you, read the Bible with you, and help you take up Jesus in your arms like Simeon and bless God and find peace. Well, Luke has one more person he'd like to introduce us to, the second witness of Christ, the second person in waiting. This person is a woman a prophetess, a widow, and her name is Anna. She is one of my favorite people in the whole Bible. So let's keep reading. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phrenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna is a prophetess filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking God's word to God's people. And Luke, who is always concerned with grounding his gospel in historical reality, tells us her origin story, tells us her father, tells us what tribe she's from, and he tells us that Anna is very old. He says that she was married for seven years, and then she lost her husband, and she never remarried, but instead she, re- she dedicated her life to serving the Lord in the temple with prayer and fasting. The wording of the Greek language in verse 37 could mean that she was a widow for 84 years, or that she was 84 years old. She's probably 84 years old. That's the most likely rendering. So she was married as a teenager probably, loses her husband sometime in her early 20s. This means that she's been coming to the temple night and day for over 60 years. Talk about waiting. Talk about persevering in prayer. Night and day for six decades, she's worshiping the Lord with fasting and prayer, telling people about God. (laughs) This woman is amazing. Can you imagine the cumulative effect of six decades of daily worship and prayer? What effect would 64 years of days spent with the Lord in His Word, in prayer, in meditation, with fasting have on a person's heart? I suspect some of you know how tender the heart must become after decades of daily devotion, how sensitive ears must become to the Holy Spirit's voice, how the hours spent in the Scriptures must form and shape the affections, how the decades in the Word must weave the Bible Into the synapses of the brain and permeate your soul. For those of you in here who are in your 20s and 30s, can I encourage you to take the long view, to give yourself to daily, unhurried time in studying Holy Scripture? Meditate on God's Word, memorize God's Word, take and eat, and share. And when you're 84, by God's grace, maybe you can be like Anna, still busy worshiping and praying and fasting and giving thanks to God, and telling others about it. The reality is that there are some truths about the Lord that He writes upon the heart with a very slow pen. There are certain hues of God's glory in Christ that can only be seen by eyes trained in waiting. Set your life to this pursuit to know Him and to enjoy Him and to grow in knowledge and joy. Verse 38 Six decades of daily worship culminates at this very hour when Simeon held the child Jesus in his arms and sweet lady Anna saw the reason she'd been coming to the temple all those years and she gave thanks to God and she spoke of him to everyone who was also waiting. This woman had a ministry of God's Word for 60 years. And then when she met Jesus, she met the Word enfleshed. And her first instinct is to do what she'd always done, to bless God and to tell others about it. I don't know what you're looking for out of life. I don't know what you're hoping to get out of life, but here's what I know. There are deep joys, lasting joys and satisfaction in a life spent on Christ, learning of Him and sharing Him with others. It never gets old. It never gets boring. And the more you do it, the greater your joy is increased in the doing. You can spend your whole life and never exhaust the excellencies of Christ, as you will find in this book. If you were to ask Anna and Simeon whether decades of waiting was worth it, what do you suppose they would say? I don't think there'd be a moment's hesitation. Yes, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I've suffered the loss of all things in order that I may gain Christ and found in Him. I imagine that they would tell you that waiting was worth it. I imagine they would tell you that a hundred lifetimes would be worth it. So we come to the question, how do you wait in faithfulness? You look to Christ. You find in His Word how He is the perfect fulfillment of God's law. perfect fulfillment of God's promises, and you take him into your arms by faith. You rest in his perfect obedience, in his sacrificial offering on your behalf. Here, my dear, waiting, weary soul, is fuel. Jesus kept the law. Jesus kept God's promises. Rest in him and get to work telling others about him. What might come of a church who gives herself to two decades or three decades or more of unhurried meditation upon Christ in the Bible? How might God use that church to draw sinners to repentance and bring revival to their city? How through them might God showcase the excellencies of Christ to the glory of His name? If the Lord wills, I hope to be here to find out. For that we pray, night and day. But to see it, and you'll forgive my language, we'll have to wait. Let's pray. Father, you are so incredibly patient with us. We confess that we are not good at waiting, not on anything really we know that your slowness is not slowness and that all time is your time. And when we are forced to wait for comfort or consolation, we know that it is for your glory and for our good. So we ask that you would forgive us for despairing and despising. Would you give us grace to endure and to wait like Simeon and Anna, to remember that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of your law and your promises to wait for him in all that we do. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, this morning, your assurance of pardon comes from Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, where we read that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us.